Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with a news bonus. What is a hate crime and why the reluctance to charge hate crimes? Well, in the midst of the cascade of hate crimes and hate incidents against Asian Americans across 2020, and most recently the tragic and awful killings of eight people in Atlanta in March of 2021, six of them Asian people, the Asian American community has been calling for the charging of the Atlanta case cases, excuse me, as hate crimes, in addition to the multiple counts of first-degree murder already faced by the shooter. But the prosecutors in the case seem to be taking their time to decide whether or not to do this, and this is extremely frustrating, angering even, for many people in the Asian American community. They wonder, you know, what about it? You know, why aren't you doing this? Are you saying something about the value of charging a hate crime when it involves Asian people? What's up with that? So let's take all of this apart and I'll give you the answers as best I understand them. So let's just start with the basics. What is a hate crime? Now, legally, hate crimes, these crimes are federal or state statutes enacted by the federal Congress or the state legislature because all criminal law is created by legislative bodies, not courts. And these are laws that enhance the sentences that are given to criminal defendants uh, when they are convicted because the crime was motivated by hatred or enmity or bias or prejudice against a particular group or an individual who was a member of that group. So you can think of them as always piggybacking on top of the underlying crime, uh, aggravated assault, assault, and of course in Atlanta those crimes would be those murders. And what they do is upon conviction they increase whatever sentence there would have been anyway. They layer an additional sentence or an enhanced sentence upon what the defendant would already receive for conviction of the simple assault, the aggravated assault, or the murder. Now, um, this uh, is also, um, if that's what they are legally, you notice I use that word, they're also something else. And hate crimes are a great illustration of how our criminal law system is also a statement about our values. Now, I, I talk to my criminal law students about this every year, and I give them different examples. Uh, for instance, uh, in, in only three states is it a misdemeanor to fail to assist someone who needs help if you can do so at no risk to yourself. In other words, a sort of good Samaritan law under the criminal law. That is the law in three states. In 47 states, there is no such law. Now, if you think about that, that's a choice of values. Here's another one. Um, in the United States, everywhere you go, prostitution is illegal. 
except in three or four or five, whatever it is, counties in the state of Nevada. And that's their choice. That is a statement of values. So when a hate crime is enacted, a hate crime statute, that is also a statement of values. That is, the legislature of that state or the Congress itself um, making a statement. It says this crime, when motivated by particular types of hatred or bias or prejudice, is even worse, demands greater condemnation and a higher increased level of punishment. Now, this has always been a controversial idea because, number one, there are aspects of free speech that are mixed in here. If somebody says nasty things about a particular racial, ethnic, gender, religious group, um, but doesn't commit a crime, we have come to call those kinds of statements hate speech, but they are not hate crimes. We don't punish in this country for speech unless that speech is about to lead to imminent lawless action. Okay? Um, And so we can't get confused with simple, even really awful, nasty speech. That is protected under the First Amendment. But the bigger difficulties have come. Even when we filter out speech issues, the bigger difficulties have come when legislative bodies don't want to make that statement of values, right? And so, for instance, in the state of Georgia, there was no hate crimes law until last year, 2020. There have been proposals for hate crimes laws, like it, like it, they exist in many other states on the federal level and so forth, but Georgia had refused to enact one. Last year came the death of Ahmad Arbery, and that was the stimulating event, if you want to call it that, for the enactment of the Georgia hate crime law. Lots of arguments when this uh, um, issue came to the federal level. You may remember the name Matthew Shepard or the name James Byrd. These were two people who were killed. Uh, Matthew Shepard in an anti-gay murder, James Byrd in a racist anti-black murder in Texas, uh, and it was not until these crimes were committed and there was a long campaign to get a federal hate crime bill enacted, which I believe now bears both of those persons' names. So when you enact a hate crime in your state legislature or in the Congress, you are making that kind of statement of values. And that leads back to a whole other set of issues, which I'll come to uh, towards the end of this little bonus here. So let's get back into the legal, all right? Um, I said legally what these are, are simply uh, statutes that uh, uh, enhance the penalty when the motivation is this kind of bias or prejudice or hatred. So let's break it down. Number one, the first thing you'll notice is that statutes select the underlying crimes to which they apply. Now, now some states uh, may just say this applies to all crimes, all right? Uh, others will make 
choices. And Georgia's is fairly typical in this regard. It applies to all felonies and then to a selected list of misdemeanors. And among those on that list are simple assault, simple battery, criminal trespass, misdemeanor theft, and some others. Okay. Um, If you have those and there is that additional uh, motivation of bias, prejudice, hate, it can be charged as a hate crime too. It can be charged, a hate crime can be charged for any felony in Georgia, all right? Then, what types of bias or motivations are covered, all right? This is the second and probably the most controversial selection that any Congress or state legislature would make. And it's often the battleground uh, uh, over which these things are fought. Because what you're doing here is you're selecting which categories of bias count under the hate crime. How broad will the hate crime be? And this comes down to uh, a question of who is going to get hate crime protection? Which groups All right. So uh, for the longest time in many states and on the federal level, the argument was, well, should we or should we not include protection for people who would fall into the category of LGBTQ or I persons? They were left out of many state hate crimes. Um, And so what you see in Georgia's uh, uh, statute is, um, is is fairly typical, right? Uh, they have a an extensive list of all of the categories. Let me read it to you. What we're looking at in Georgia's categories are race, color, religion, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender, mental disability, or physical disability. Okay, that's fairly comprehensive, but I'm sure that you might be able to think of something that is not included, too. Um, And believe me, there were vigorous debates about this, and you could understand how one state, in its statement of values mode, might have a less comprehensive list than this, especially if it was 10 or 20 years ago, and other states might have a more comprehensive list. Okay, so that's the second thing. And then what you see here combined with the list of categories is what has to be proven. So let me read this part of the Georgia statute too. All right, if the trier of fact, that would be the judge or jury, determines beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant intentionally selected any victim or group of victims or any property as the object of the offense because of such victims or group of victims, actual or perceived race, color, religion, national origin, sex, sexual, and so forth. The thing I just read you. Okay, so what has to be done here? There are the mechanics right there. The prosecution must bring proof to the judge or jury to the level of reasonable doubt, must be beyond a reasonable doubt, just like proving any other crime, uh, 
that the defendant intentionally selected the victim or the particular groups, or let's say a property, what could that mean? Like a church, like a synagogue, like a mosque, as the object of the offense because of this particular category. Okay, so that's what the prosecution would have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Then the end point, how does it enhance the penalty? Penalty enhancements, if it's a misdemeanor, here's how the Georgia statute uh, tells us that they'll do it. The judge who imposes the sentence uh, will give imprisonment for a period of not less than six nor more than 12 months and a fine not to exceed $5,000. So in other words, there can be a conviction for, let's just say, assault, and then an additional conviction for the hate crime count, and it can result in at least six, but not more than 12 extra months on top of what the assault itself would bring the defendant. If the underlying crime is a felony and the hate crime elements are met, uh, the defendant uh, would get a sentence for a period of, quote, not less than two years. So it's a minimum, a mandatory minimum for a felony hate crime in Georgia of at least two years and then a fine if the judge wants. Okay, so that's what it is legally and that's how it works. Prosecution must prove that the defendant had this particular kind of motivation or hate or bias or prejudice against those selected groups and that that was the motivation and it must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, so let's go back to one of the original questions I brought to you. Why the reluctance to charge these crimes, and prosecutors generally are reluctant. All right. Now, it is always possible, always possible that prosecutors or the police who bring the prosecutors these crimes may just not want to use hate crime laws. They're, you know, philosophically uncomfortable with them, don't understand how they operate, regard them as an afterthought, or maybe they don't believe in them right? Uh, those things are possible, right? They don't want to give that extra protection to the pick out one of those groups, right? Now, I don't, I, I can't tell you that that is the case, uh, either nationally or about any particular prosecutor's office, but we have to admit it is possible. Failing that, let's just assume everybody is acting in good faith and wants to use the law as given. Why might there be reluctance? Well, it's about proving that charge in the first instance, right? Uh, proving a hate crime count requires more proof, I think you now understand, than just pro proving the underlying crime itself. The prosecution would have to prove an additional mental state, okay? Something beyond what they have to prove for the underlying crime, the assault, the murder, whatever, right? And that mental state is, and I'll quote uh, from the Georgia statute, that the defendant intentionally selected any victim or group of victims or any property as the object of the offense because of such victim or group of victims, actual or perceived race, color, etc. Now, um, if the killer or assaulter 
or vandalizer or whoever, you know, shouted out racial epithets uh, or said to the victim loudly enough for others to hear, you don't belong in this country, people like you, or carried or wore symbols of hate. Um, you know, a noose, a, a, a Nazi swastika, whatever it was, not too hard. But without something like this, it is harder to prove. Now, it is, of course, not insurmountable. We have proof of mental states for virtually every regular, everyday garden variety crime. All right, they require proof of mental state. Just as my students, it's that good old thing called mens rea. You have a required mental state that has to be proven. For instance, first-degree murder generally requires proof that the crime was premeditated and deliberate. Okay, now, whatever that means, I have to get into it another time, but it's proof of a mental state. And we usually don't have proof of what was in the defendant's head. How do we prove it then? By inference. We see in the facts of some particular case that the defendant walked up to the victim, pointed a loaded firearm at the victim's chest, pulled the trigger. Now, we may not have direct evidence of what was in the defendant's head, a a, a, a shouted epithet or, 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 you know, a diary entry or something posted on a blog. But we can infer that that was a purposeful killing, can't we? I mean, you know, what are you trying to do when you point a gun at somebody's chest and fire a bullet into their chest, right? So this isn't an insurmountable obstacle, but it's harder. It can be complicated and no prosecutor likes to lose a case because of a lack of proof. Now, come to cases, the Atlanta case. Um, here's an example of one that, if you were a prosecutor, you'd want to think hard about. All right? uh, and I'll just give one complicating possibility, not that I believe it, and not that the prosecutor is operating based on this. I'm just giving this to you as a possibility just to demonstrate why this might be tough. Now, uh, is, it, is it possible that the defendant killed people because they were Asian American? Yes, it is certainly possible. But you can envision other ways to target Asian people or Asian businesses that didn't involve these particular businesses, right? They could have been random people on the street, they could have been in other kinds of businesses, Asian restaurants, Asian markets, uh, almost anything you could imagine. And therefore, that would seem to give credence. And again, I'm not saying I buy this or that you should. That would seem to give the defense an argument that this wasn't motivated by hatred against Asians, but against this particular kind of business. Because you remember, they were all targeted massage businesses. All right? Again, not saying I accept that. And certainly, the jury, the judge, and me, we don't have to accept the defendant's uh, 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 rationale that we all heard reported in news reports that uh, this was because of his sex addiction. 
right? But you can see how the defense could construct an argument based on that, right? And that would simply make the proof harder. And so a prosecutor is going to hesitate in a case like that to see if there is some other way to build the case. You know, were there social media posts by the defendant that would seem to be anti-Asian? Did he say something to somebody he knew that might have disclosed this bias or disproved it, one or the other? Okay, and that, of course, brings us full circle because if I started by telling you this is what these are legally and here's what they are in another way. They make a statement. Remember that? Okay. So you enact hate crimes. It's a crime. It has elements of proof. It's part of the criminal legal code, the penal code. But you can't just look at it that way. It is, as I said, a statement of values. And when you have a statement of values that is speaking directly to a particular group in society, in this instance, Asian Americans, but it could be Jewish people, it could be black people, it could be any group. And you make that statement, you say the law protects you, the criminal law protects you against hate crimes. And then when that group sees what they think is a hate crime and prosecutors for legal reasons hesitate, as now maybe you can see why they might, now you see the clash. Now you see the disappointment. Now you see how difficult the criminal legal system can be to navigate when we have different goals, objectives, parceled out to different parts of the constituencies that have to deal with the criminal law, whether that's the public or prosecutors or courts or defense lawyers. It doesn't fit together perfectly. It's not really a system in that regard. It's not like an industrial machine. It's a system of values, and values can clash. That's it. That's a primer on hate crimes and why they're sometimes not charged. You can always turn to us here on Criminal Injustice for insight into what's happening in the criminal legal system nationally, internationally, and otherwise. You can find these and all of our features by going to our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com and you can donate there. That's right. We are member supported. We really appreciate the support we get. Go to patreon.com slash criminal injustice. I'm David Harris and I'll be back with you next time. Music